I'm Aaron Weintraub, and this is Inside Kurdistan. It's very difficult to explain what a fixer is to someone who's unfamiliar with international reporting. Uh, The analogy that pops directly into my head is something that's related to glue, uh, which is kind of reductive. But it's probably the best jumping off point towards an accurate description of the job. A fixer is kind of a person who acts as the glue, if you will, between a reporter who needs to access a difficult and usually dangerous area uh, and the community that lives there. Uh, They usually come from that community or a nearby community. And their responsibility beyond just being an ambassador and connect is to navigate past security risks and make sure proper precautions are taken beforehand to ensure safe entrance and exit, uh, to make sure that proper sources are introduced and that uh, cross-cultural interactions are respectful and attentive. And then on top of all of that, there's a myriad of other things uh, that are impossible to account for on the ground, uh, especially during conflict reporting. Um, I think When all said and done, uh, it's safe to say that what a great fixer does is present the story to the journalist with the assistance of a huge pile of phone numbers and a good car uh, so that the journalist can then present that story to the world. Uh, It was 2014, as Mosul was under ISIS occupation, that Sangar Khalil was introduced to the world of fixing. Sangar is originally from Mosul, and his work connecting journalists to sources in the city during its liberation was just the beginning of what has been an incredibly interesting and successful career that has expanded past Mosul to all over Iraq and Kurdistan and uh, also Syria. Uh, ranging from one-off freelance reports uh, to ongoing series uh, with NPR and the New York Times, just to name a couple. Uh, Without the work that he and other fixers did so successfully in Mosul, the coverage of one of the most important developments in the history of Iraq and Kurdistan would not have received a fraction of the proper coverage that it desperately needed. Uh, Sangar has been lauded as one of the best in the field. Uh, he's now also working on shaping it to include and account for the crucial work that fixers do for reporting. Uh, one of the things he's doing right now is coming up with a better name than Fixer, uh, which he still hasn't solved yet. Uh, but for this episode, as well as next week's, I'll be sharing what we discussed, which includes everything from his past work to the current discussion on how fixers need to be treated to his own experience with loss and the toll that this kind of work can take on people in this field. Um, I'll just say it was a real treat to interview him, and I'm just going to let him speak for himself from here on out. So with all that said, here's what we talked about. You were born in 1989, correct? So that makes you, what, 32 years old? 32, 33 years old. 32, 33, but who's counting? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm so bad in counting, actually. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Not like my other 73 cousins. That's fun. It is fun. And you're, it's really fun. Yeah. Are you on a group chat together? <laughs> um, no, but like we call each other you know, like 10,000 times a day. Yeah. Well, let's start with that because it seems like the most exhausting part of your life is literally having to be in constant contact with every single person in your life, related or not? Um, this is actually, it's a, it's a good point because uh, this is a big part of our work as fixers. 
also we have to be in contact you know like we have to be uh to talk to everyone you know like what's going on you know like in all areas so um yeah we are in contact i have like more than 4000 contacts in my phone you know so uh yeah so we have to be in touch with a lot so let's backtrack a little bit and talk about your beginnings in mosul uh, like in the 90s can you describe the city and and how it's had a cultural impact on you from uh, a young age well back then it had a uh, uh, more cultural impact i think on us like as children mm-hmm. uh than nowadays you know like because in mosul like uh, uh in in one street you could see like all ethnics religions you know like like in my in my own street you know like we had like minorities like shabaks you know like christians and kurds arabs you know like all of us you know so that's why you know like we were very linked you know like to to each other we we did not know you know like who's this and what like what's the religion or what's the ethnicity you know but uh uh that's that's why you know like i mean we felt that's home you know like we all are one you know like there's no uh, uh differences between all these uh people so uh growing up as uh in mosul uh, for me was amazing because i was uh in the school i made my own uh soccer team uh which is uh yeah like it, it it was amazing for me it was amazing and i didn't know until 2003 you know like i didn't know all the politics my dad was a uh, uh, uh a was actually serving in iran also you know like he was giving and disappearing for like months you know like coming back you know like because he was always wanted by the bathis and uh then go again disappear uh, but for me, I did not know anything what's going on in a bigger uh, picture, you know, like, but in 2003, suddenly we all, uh, almost all Iraq, you know, like, turned to be, like, politicians, you know, like, military experts, you know, like, knowing about all types of weapons, you know, and, yeah, we always, until today, you know, like, we always talk politics. It's interesting that you bring up your father, actually, because your uncertainty about where he was, like, at any one point, like, that that translates into your adult life, does it not? Well, you know, like, uh, many times they were, like, uh, the Baptists, they were uh, coming, you know, like, the security, knocking our doors, you know, like, at night, late at night, you know, like, we were sleeping on the rooftop uh, because of lack of electricity at that time, you know, like, in summer. uh, They were asking about my father, you know, like, and we were, like, I don't know. My my mother knew, you know, like she was, she knew everything, you know, like, and the older generation of the Kurds in Mosul, they also knew, you know, like about, they knew about, uh, about the situation and so many of them, they got uh, jailed just for listening to Kurdish music, you know, like, and stuff. So, but for me, I never knew, you know, like what my father's doing. When did you leave Mosul and come to Erbil? Well, uh, for my father, he left earlier, and we stayed. Then we left in two thousand three, mm-hmm. and then. But I stayed because I had to study, you know. Like, and then my brother was a, an interpreter with the U.S. Army, you know. Like, he got threatenings. Then I had to leave Mosul in two thousand six, you know, and move to Kurdistan. And then you went to what UKH, correct? Hello. I I I moved to Bardarash actually, uh-huh. oh, okay. uh, uh, yeah, to uh, with my family to join my family, you know, 
And then I finished my uh, school, high school in Bardarish. I lost actually three years. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, like from Arabic to Kurdish, it's like a little bit difficult uh, to to study, you know, uh, because of the uh, vocabularies and yeah, exactly. stuff is like, is, is way different. And then, uh, yeah, I joined UKH, which was like, which I think uh, UKH created us. And you, during that time, that's when you started fixing. Well, I started to work and to fund myself. Uh, then ISIS occupied, ISIS took over like uh, several cities in Iraq, you know, like including Mosul. And I was already there, you know, like uh, in, in need of a planes, you know, like working in an oil field as translator and uh, assistant security advisor. Then a friend of mine who was already working as a fixer called me, who was like, can you go with two journalists to the front lines to see like the families are escaping and who's like, yes, why not? Uh, yeah, it was just like a business for me, you know, like, okay, I'm going to work and like just like two days and then come back. It's a work for me. But like day one, when I got there, I was like, no, this is not work. And no, it's a lifestyle. <laughs> it's a lifestyle. Yeah. It's like my people, because it was like very rare, you know, like to hear the Musili accent, you know, mm -hmm. like talking, you know, we always used to talk, you know, like to talk fun, you know, like, and now they're talking of being displaced, right? They're talking of escaping, you know, like they're talking of leaving their homes, you know, like, and, and, and houses, you know, like I remember one of them was like, I left my house, you know, like I did not leave bricks. Each brick has a story, you know, like, because I was like very tired and like I spent my time, my life my entire life just to fill this house. So all these things, you know, like it, it really affected me. And then when I came back, it was actually also a, a, a good business for me, you know, like and ISIS took over, you know, like some cities in Iraq, you know, like job opportunities, financial crisis. Um, but it was actually both for me. It was like work and it was like a small soul. Come on. Well, yeah, yeah well, actually, Two things. First, I kind of just want to ask, do you consider yourself lucky or unlucky because of like your situ the situation you found yourself in as sort of a go-between between journalists and your city and, and documents? Like, well, like, I think I, I consider myself the luckiest person because I, I, I survived uh, the war in Mosul. That's mm -hmm. number one, you know, like because uh, we were actually uh, sometimes dying 10 times a day, you know, <laughs> but uh, someone gets shot, you know, like right you talking to, you know, like, why is him? Why not me, you know? Right. And then, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very lucky, you know, like I found myself in, in journalism world because when I came back and talked to my friend, then I started to, uh, uh, to search what's fixing, what's fixer, you know, like there was not too much uh, uh, resources about that, but like uh, my friend was, uh, was amazingly helpful. And we can get into sort of the, the complications with fixing, but I'm curious about sort of how this type of life is so deeply embedded in you. Is it because of, uh, of your own relationship to the culture here? Uh, is it because of an adrenaline rush with conflict reporting? What What do you um, think? I mean, I think we, we, will, we will have it, you know, like uh, conflict reporting. Uh, it's, I think it's, it's a little bit easier, you know, like than nowadays. Mm -hmm. You know, like to cover and in Iraq, you know, uh, we 
what I always say, you know, like with some close friends, you know, like why we always need a war to fix the problems of the previous war, you know. So, uh, and there's always uh, instability, you know, like especially of, with the, what's going on now in Baghdad. Um, yeah, we feel uh, those are not good signs, you know, like, I mean, we need some long-term good plan without using weapons, you know, like or thinking about it. I don't know. It's not a sense of duty. That's not how I'd describe it. But it does seem like there is, it does seem like you do have an obligation to your community and and fixing is the way that you've chosen to express it. Yes, because uh, uh, I am, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm 30, almost 33 years old, mm-hmm. but I am also four wars old, you know, so uh, we, in Mosul especially, we always had a war, you know, like each four or five years, you yeah. know, like, uh, but this this ISIS one was like very serious, you know, like the other wars, it was like getting rid of a dictator and then civil war, you know, like people getting threatening, they have a way to get out, you know, like but this time for ISIS, it was like very serious. And I didn't know it, actually. I mean, I was not into all these things like politics and stuff like that. You know, I was just like playing soccer before and just not even like following news that much. But uh, what made me also lucky a little bit because I was working with the security advisors of oil field at that time, you know, like so we had to follow a little bit of news, you know, like ISIS and stuff, but it's getting more serious. They're taking more areas. Um, Yeah, that's how it affected me, you know, like because... At Mosul, like, uh, I have to send the message, you know, like, from Mosul, you know, like, to the world. And it's a great opportunity for me to work with international journalists, you know, like, to do that. Do you think that international journalists have the ability to connect with your city the way that you do? Because my my thing is I'm American and I don't necessarily have that same connection to the cities that I've reported in. Because I've worked in abroad my entire career, essentially. And working as a fixer, A, you have to have 10 times the connections that any journalist has. I mean, 100 times. And, and then, also yeah. the cultural thing is very important yes. to know it. You know, like, I mean, to not know what's going on in the city, you know, like the background of the city. Uh, uh, because we just, we not only translate, like fixers is not only translating, you know, mm-hmm. like it's not only getting permission, you know. You got the permission then after that, that's the important part, you know, like it starts. And then it's, um, I feel, uh, yes, international journals, they were like uh, uh, good in covering Mosul. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, their fixers, they were like uh, very good. They knew the city, they they they, uh, they knew the culture, they know the history of the, of the city. So the journals also, they made research and... Uh, uh, for us, it's a, it's a good opportunity, you know, like it was a very good opportunity to work with journalists, which is one of the best, like educated, you know, like yeah, uh, 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 people, you know, like uh, uh, in the world, we can say, you know, like because they read, they write, you know, uh, and, and, and for people. Um, so I think Mosul was, uh, was very lucky with the international coverage. What are some of the intricacies in fixing uh, that the average person might not think about? 
because you talk about like it's not just translation work it's not just checkpoints there are other little things that you have to consider i mean there's so many different details you know earlier i talked for. about like earlier i talked about 73 cousins yes. you know so we always gather you know like weekends eats you know like uh, if there's any like pandemic you know like we were playing dominoes day and night you know like um so each one is a character and each one represents like thousands of iraqis so uh, for fixing also you have to know how to deal with all these characters you know like i mean what kind of character this guy is you know like i mean okay is he the right person to go with to the front line mm-hmm. is he lying to me you know like in the middle of in the interview you know so i mean uh there are lots of things you know like we just like i mean do everything yeah fixers uh um we are behind everything you know like uh because you know like a foreign journalist cannot come to iraq you know like and go right or cannot go to africa do something and then that's it you know like we were not even getting credit before mm-hmm. but nowadays is is good you know like there are awards for fixers um and right now i'm working on the term fixer you know like to to actually change it you know like i'm in touch with some universities around the world uh to do uh good research i talked to fixers in iraq syria and some fixers in Af- uh, in africa uh to change it because always i say you know like if we go if i go to the street you know like in the uh, in the states or uk or wherever you know like and i tell them i'm a fixer they think i'm a mechanic you know right. so <laughs> that's uh, that's why you know like we need a term you know like to be related to the journalism world well and there's i mean you've established yourself as one of the most respected fixers in the world but <laughs> no i mean you have i th- and i think what i've been wondering about how you felt about the relationship between fixers and and someone who's permanently rooted in the community and someone reliant on how all of those connections work in order to make your career work and then you have international journalists that can leave it's not only during the conflict when it's over you know like because we work uh with any media outlet you know mm-hmm. like we work like one day two days three days one week or a month you know they leave but we stay yes there is always uh 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 threat on us you know like also like the number of fixers you know like how how many fixers we were and how many we are now you know like it's 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 dangerous number to be honest you mm-hmm. know like some like quit kidnapped killed and uh uh it's uh it's not easy to uh because for me you know like the characters I'm just like some characters you know like some people when I I interview you know like it's not like I just did my because this is not our culture you know like well I introduce myself we are journalists all we can do is just a story if you're okay to talk we appreciate it if not thank you so much and then if so, when someone gives me his story or her story you know so uh and then the journalists they leave but sometimes they ask me questions not related to the uh uh Uh, to the story we did you know like but some other questions you know like when they want to come for example to Kurdistan you know like they what are the processes for example mm-hmm. you know, like and uh, do I need any paperwork and stuff like that you know like just like friends you know so it's not easy to stay in contact you know like with all those people uh it's impossible 
It's very difficult. Yeah. It's very difficult. I think, well, and on top of all of that, to go back to what you, you, you said earlier, there's a, there's a significant discussion that needs to be had in the field about recognition for the work. And then at the same time, uh, a discussion about salary and benefits and protection. What do you think needs to change in the future specifically beyond just changing the term fixer? I mean, you know, changing the perspective I that think, people have. I, I think if there, is a, if there is any war, anything happens, for example, now in Iraq, you know, mm-hmm. like it's easy to fly. And, and, and uh, yeah, we see, for example, like 200, 300 journals here, you know, like two, 300 persons like to work with those journals, you know, like they don't know about journalism, uh, maybe just like me when I started. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think there should be a study for it, like a curriculum. Um, people study it, like everyone should know the right of the local uh, fixers, uh, insurances, everything, you know. So, I mean, if I worked on a story, then I got hurted for that story, you know, like in the journalists are home, you know, and I don't have any insurance. Yeah. So who takes care of me and my family? No Exa- one. And, and who protects you from yeah. like risk that happens afterwards, for example? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, to be honest, like there are like some uh, uh, media outlets. They do. They, they, they give us like uh, insurances. Mm-hmm. They follow us, you know, like with everything, you know, like if in any case, you know, like we got any problems, you know, like they say, like contact us, you know, like we try, we try to help to do our thing. Well, actually, let's let's go back real quick. I, I would one. I was wondering if you could walk me through the first time you went through the front line in Mosul. If yes, I do remember clearly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I was with uh, two journals, you know, like we were going to. Mahmoud areas, you know, like, I mean, to see people then we could not, uh, it was a little bit difficult to reach there. I didn't know, you know, like I didn't know where to go because I was not the fixer at, at that time, you know, like it was just like my first day, you know, like a friend of mine called me at night. Uh, then I called my friend. I was, he was like, okay, just find any other place, you know, like which families are coming out, you know, and then I had to call some friends from where the families are coming out, you know, like I went close to Bashika and we saw lots of people coming out. Uh, uh, and then we came back to Bartilla areas. Um, I was, I was not feeling that I am tired or something like that. I was like, okay, these people come out, you know, like I want to interview all of them. I want to talk to them. I want to know the story. And that there are like people on the other side also coming out, you know, like I want to see the other side also, you know, mm-hmm. like so we were driving just back and forth, you know, like into both sides. And it was not an easy drive, you know, because the security was not stable at that time, you know, like so we had to take uh, uh, a long, long, long way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To get to 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 both areas. Um, yeah. The journals were talking, um, I mean, about. Their work. I, I was I was asking a lot of questions. You know, like I thought I'm just like a, a, a translator. You know, like just mm-hmm. going to translate what they want. You know, so I didn't know what's going on. I was not. Oh, that thing's happening. This happening. And yeah, I hear like these guys are saying this, and I was not like that. You know, like if just like the journalist was like calling me, can you translate for me? I was like yes. Otherwise, I was just like doing nothing. You know, just standing there. You know. Um, I do remember that day, 
And then we worked a lot, you know, like me and dad journals after that. Yeah. And you're still friends. <laughs> we are very close friends. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, like when they called me, he was like, everyone is recommending Sanger. Is that the same Sanger that I worked with? Because he was not good at all. I was like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's me, man. You <laughs> know, like I still have your contact, you know. <laughs> That's very funny. So, uh, <laughs> Actually, let's talk about that because you, as you mentioned before, there's no specific curriculum for 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 what you do, yeah. and so what you have to do is basically learn on the job, which is a very nice way of saying uh, making a lot of mistakes. I was wondering what kind of mistakes you've made on the job, uh, or se- you've seen others make on the job that have put you or someone else in harm's way, and 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 maybe educate the average viewer about like the kinds of precautions that you need to take? Well, uh, to be honest, the only mistake I always think about it and I feel terrible, terrible about that is like, uh, in the beginning, I did not know, you know, like about like freelance journalists and staff journalists, uh-huh. you know? So, <laughs> and it was always like my friends, you know, like making the budget, you know, like for, for it. So they were like charging a lot. We were charging a lot, you know, like, and, then after I realized, you know, I was like, no, no, that's 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 what makes me, you know, like uh, feeling so bad every time, you know. And uh, yeah, I hope I I fixed that, you know, because I worked with a lot of uh, uh, freelance journalists. We had lots of pressure. We had uh, I learned a lot. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, because we are both freelance, you know, so we have to, we had to work a lot. And yeah, thankfully, I think, you know, like, I've, uh, yeah, I work, I fixed that, <laughs> you know, about the rates and uh, stuff like that. But for other mistakes, I mean, um, in the beginning, you know, like, just had like to translate what exactly they're saying, you know, like people and what it means, you know, like what's the, also, the like the context, yeah. yeah. And uh, then, you know, like after getting experiences, I, you know, like just explain, you know, like that we are journalists, we are not NGOs, we are not like government, you know, like we are not this and that, you know, like we cannot give you any promise. So um, thankfully, I don't have any problem with any single journalist and no problem with any single character, I think, yes. So this is the end of the first half of my interview with Sangar. The next half will be published next week. We decided that the interview was long enough that it needed to be broken up into two episodes. So be sure to tune in next Tuesday. Inside Kurdistan is brought to you by the Kurdistan Information Network. You can listen to this episode on our website, kurdistanin.net, as well as on Apple, Spotify, or whatever podcast platform you use. So be sure to subscribe there as well. I'll be back with the rest next week. So for now, thanks so much for listening. I'm Aaron Weintraub, and this has been Inside Kurdistan. <laughs>